Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are, and welcome to Chicken Soup for the White Boy's Soul. My name is Denver Crawford, and this podcast is a closer look into my personal journey of healing through conversation. As someone who identifies primarily as a white male, I am responsible for educating myself on how to unlearn my implicit racism and the ways in which the American and global systems have contributed to a false view of myself and other people. I am attempting to create that space here on the podcast by inviting voices from all walks of life to a conversation, one aimed at learning. Too many of us are using social media and the internet at large as a placeholder for actual conversation and individual action. Here you will witness conversations that are awkward, frustrating, cathartic, confusing, but most of all, positive. I have done my best not to edit anything out of these conversations. They are real and they are honest. Editing in order to appear more intelligent or well-spoken would be against the entire idea of this thing. While this is a place I've created out of a personal need, I would like to believe that you, listener, whoever you are, might find solace and encouragement from these conversations with friends and family. If there is anything you'd like to comment on, a missed opportunity, an incorrect term, or more opportunities for learning, I encourage you to send all communications to whiteboyssoul at gmail.com. So before we get started on this episode, um, I wanted to take a moment to say, if you haven't listened to the interlude, the first interlude, um, I would suggest listening to that before this episode just to get a feel as to um, what's going into uh, things behind the scenes. Uh, and how this podcast might change a little bit. As you can tell if you've already listened so far, I usually start an episode by saying, this episode is between myself and Olivia, or Dr. T. Um, You know, I like to give a little preface. Um, I think that was to both ease listeners in, as well as myself, and I'm finding, um, post this first interlude, I think I'm gonna... Um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna insert interludes after every few episodes, um, and I'm just gonna do my best to change up some structure afterwards. So, I'm gonna be working without a script, uh, introducing this next episode, and this next episode is between myself and Alisa Torres. Um, I just finished listening to it. I will include a post, uh, kind of like debrief after this episode, um, to kind of say what I glean from our conversation and, you know, things that I'm taking away. Um, it's just going to be less scripted from this point on until I feel like scripting it again. Who knows? Um, so this is, you know, between myself, Alice Torres, we talk a lot about uh, police violence, um, quarantine things, and our relationship and cultural identities and art um, I don't want to give too much away. This is the first part of a two-part episode. Our first conversation is sober. Our second uh, is not so sober. So uh, I hope you'll be able to listen to one or the other or both. Um, without further ado, here you go. Okay. All right. Good afternoon. Welcome to Chicken Soup for the White Boy's Soul, Alisa Torres. I'm sorry, my phone, my phone apparently, yes. I love it. Here we are. Um, you're, you're one of my newer friends in my life. We've, we've only known each other for how long, do you think? 
Um, maybe a year? Six, maybe eight months? Nine months? About nine months. We should have a baby. We yes, should. About, about <laughs> nine months, yeah. Um, you, uh, I've met you through Parlor 153, which is a uh, semi-weekly um, art gathering that we have at Noreen Dresser's house in Harlem. An art salon. Art salon, yes. Um, and you are a curator, you're a photographer, um, you are an all-around artist and lovely human being. Uh, do you, can you give me some uh, background on yourself for anyone who is tuning in? Um, well, like you said, I'm an artist. I also write about art. Um, I'm a curator. And um, I... Uh, a graphic designer and uh, um, a creative director by by day, not so much since I've been uh, uh, working full time as an artist. That's my endeavor. But uh, when I was working in corporate, it was creative directing and art directing. Hmm. Um, and also to foster uh, uh, an arts community in general. Um, I'm also the founder of the uh, art collective Evidence of Things Not Seen, right. which um, focuses on uh, Latino artists and uh, our frustration of being an invisible community within uh, what is the enormous, enormous epicenter of uh, the art world that exists in New York, New York City to be specific, and yet we are invisible. Um, and, and this applies to African Americans and other people of color, but uh, my angle is specifically Latinos. Um, and also, uh, I was uh, the publisher and founder of Clear Nude, which was a magazine specific to nude um, photography. So mm. those are some of the projects. I have other things, but yeah. those are the most pressing, if you will. <laughs> What are your cultural identities? My cultural identities would be Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. <laughs> First and foremost, um, that's my all. Um, I, I suppose you wouldn't consider uh, being a woman a cultural identity. Yeah. Uh, uh, but being a woman. Yeah. Uh, uh, also a queer woman. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But those those would be... Um, my identities. <laughs> nice. Um, and I like to start every episode with an answer. Um, I can go first if you don't have one, because we talked about this just a second ago. But do you have a truth or an answer today that um, is sitting with you? A truth or an answer? Well, you, you've got to give me an example. Okay, so... So this is my answer today. Um, and you actually, like, commented on my... Uh, I posted it on Instagram, but it's a quote by Toni Morrison. And she says, this is precisely the time when artists go to work. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. And that that's my answer today. And I like, I find contention within that because, you know, during this pandemic, a lot of artists have like needed to create some space for their own despair. There is a despair among the artistic community. Um, and, but this quote is also directly saying like, 
this is this that's our time this is when we work and i it's like balancing that with like the human part of ourselves that does need time to process things the when we're wearing our artist hat we have no time for that but when we're wearing our human in the middle of a pandemic hat it's like yeah we we need to feel despair just a little bit yeah i actually saw that you posted that up earlier today mm-hmm. um well who can trump tony morris really um <laughs> you don't need to and, you don't need through to this pandemic and and through everything that's been been happening because it's just not the pandemic it's black lives matter it's so much happening all at once. I've, I, for me as an artist, and and I'm very re- reactionary. Very, I'm I'm a very fly fly by the seat of your pants. Mm-hmm. My work's very political. It's very out there. Um, I have found for me that uh, it's time to be quiet um, mm-hmm. as an artist and thinking. Um, what I have been doing, and, and this, I know the question is something else for me, but I, I just need to comment on what you just said, is it has been to make a space for artists to speak. Um, because I find that I'm finding that a lot of artists that may have been more demure and quiet are finding their voices. And I think that that's incredible and, and needs to be engendered and that flame needs to be like blown on and and, and made into a roaring fire Hmm. but for myself i've taken a step back um uh and and i don't know what i don't know what will become of what i will articulate because when i look at my work it's it's um it's funny uh because it is a precursor of what's happening Mm-hmm. So I was calling it before it happened. And so it's like, told you so, told you so, told you, told you, told you so mm-hmm. about Black Lives Matter. So it's now I need to kind of think about everything. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of truth, um, I there are certain quotes that I live by, which are my truisms. And one is by the indigenous woman, Ligo Venta Menchu, um, that is forever present in my life. And it's better to die on your feet than to live your entire life on your knees. Mm-hmm. And that is how I have to approach life. And as a Latina woman, as a queer woman, and as a woman in general, it's like you are always in a battle. And you don't, no one tells you this. This is like an un, unspoken uh, truth that w- there are women, the women that reject feminism. Uh, even <laughs> my grandmother, who to me is my biggest feminist icon, she swears that, you know, feminism is a tool of the devil. Okay. <laughs> um, but she is my greatest feminist icon because there has no one, there's, very few women that I have encountered that has picked herself up by her, uh, what is that, bootstraps? That's how you that, that's how you say yeah, it in English? That's, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, no one can come across that woman. Like, she will, she will cut you. I, um, she will, she works hard. She, she embodies the spirit of a feminist woman. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that would be my truism. Okay. I like that. Um, it's a that's a really powerful 
it's not about upping Toni Morrison, but like I think any truth, yeah, I, I think both both and, um, and so you you gave a bit a bit of context as to what you do, but um, what I want to ask you a little bit more about is uh, your arts collective evidence of things not seen. Um, and what that was born out of, the, you know, if you could explain the mission of that and um, uh, maybe if something's going on with that, because you're talking about giving voice to uh, new artists that are just now finding theirs. Um, so, yeah. Well, that started with um, and there was this open an international open call for groups to get together to showcase for a BNL. Mm. Um, and you know, you could have, you could do anything you want. You could show as a single artist or come up with some other idea. And, um, it just occurred to me because I've, I've worked and helped a lot of different artists just because, just because, um, it's, it's very important to have, and, and I have neglected to say this, being a resident of Harlem for 25 years and mm. being part of starting different groups within Harlem. Um, That's a cultural identity for sure. <laughs> absolutely. I'm, I'm shocked that it, I omitted my cultural identity as a Harlemite. <laughs> um, how dare I? They're going to kill me. Um you, you have to foster a sense of community in order to, to build, in, in order to build. Um, I don't believe, you know, you have artists that think that they're an island mm -hmm. and that's, that's all they think and how they work. I don't, I don't believe in that. I, I, that's not my, that's not, that's just not how I approach it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, I looked around and and just saw this blatant need of seeing these amazingly, amazingly talented uh, Latino artists ignored in in New York City. That this is their turf. That they didn't have gallery representation. They were it, and this it wasn't even that these people are new. You know, you had mid level career artists. You had artists, um, I know an artist that he's like the, the, the father, one of the fathers of graffiti. Mm. Okay. Like his first tag was in 1968. He's in the, Damn. he's in the museum of graffiti. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't have an, a, a proper, um, gallery representation and we're talking about he precedes Keith Haring he precedes other people he precedes Anglos mm -hmm. that that had come to him and sought him out mm. as a teacher okay and yet he doesn't have the stature or the dollars um people want to negotiate with him for his original works where you have someone else that's Anglo that is represented by a gallery mm. that they can put whatever dollar they, all the zeros that they want to put on their pieces and they can command it. Meanwhile, here we have a father of a founding father 
of um, graffiti, we're talking about, you know, the old trains with the graffiti and all this kind of stuff, still living, a living legend, and he can't get play. Mm. And so you, you have these people who, if we don't help ourselves, no one gives any kind of cra- Don't They don't care. Yeah. So it's like we have to do it. We have to do it for ourselves. Otherwise, no one's going to come around and say, hey, and we're talking about people who've proven themselves. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about, and yes, there are people in the group that have just graduated from, from university and they're amazing. We have artists who are autodidactic. We have art, you know what I mean? Like we have a plethora, mm-hmm. but you also have artists that, that are like, they're uh, uh, hollowed artists mm-hmm. in Smithsonian. Like, why is it that they're struggling? Mm. That does not make sense to me. Uh, it makes, I think it makes sense in, in the perspective of like the American system and you know how money works and how uh, yeah. politics play out. But um, yeah, it, it, it absolutely doesn't make sense in, the, in like, how, how is someone so revered or so well known? So, um, that's okay. It's just coming through the phone. <laughs> but yeah, like how, how is someone so, um, uh, who is canonized still, uh, you know, um, not treated with the respect that his work gets? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, they yeah. want to show him with Banksy to give Banksy context. They pay for Banksy's work. They ask his work for free. That's insane. See, right? yeah, I'm also, I'm new to the whole art world, um, how, how money works in that, but it's just like, it seems so back ass words, like the way things work but um i appreciate you as like a voice there and you're you're demanding some um some transparency and some you know accountability for these gallery owners and for the art market and for the art world to recognize that like there is there's an equality here perhaps i mean i'd say it's like it's a metaphor for like Mm -hmm. our country and the way things are in racism but like yeah yeah so um evidence of things not seen is there a website or is there a place that that can be checked out online simply evidence of things not seen dot com all right so that's where you can go through a revamp just so you know how long how old is that organization it's brand spanking news on uh since last march yeah so um, we're in the process of remodeling the website and adding new artists. So right now the collective has 13 artists mm-hmm. and um, we put on a bunch of, um, we put on a lecture series and then we had um, gangster, what I call gang- gangster exhibitions. <laughs> so um, I... Um, I put a, a, a bunch of the artists on servers, portable servers, and went to the Met, uh, I went to the MoMA, and via, uh, and I broadcasted it in there, mm-hmm. and with your phone, you could see the artists. Mm. So, 
um, without the permission of the museums, obviously. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's that's guerrilla tactics. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, I want to so plan on doing more of that. Yeah. You know? Um, that's awesome. And I want to also dive into a bit more of a personal history, if you don't mind. Um, this is a question I like to ask everyone, but, um, in general, I'm interested in hearing from you the first, uh, kind of contact you may have come into with your race, um, and with your, um, I, I know you and I have had conversations about this recently, about the household that you were raised in and you were quite like always made aware of your identity as a Puerto Rican and mm -hmm. um, the politics around that. But uh, do you, I mean, and before this conversation, we talked about Puerto Rican versus Puerto Rican American or just American. What is it? What um, are you decided on any of these things now? Or when did you well, come into contact well, with all of these? Uh, okay. Well, this is a very, you could talk for hours on this. And if you get a bunch of Puerto Ricans in a room, forget about it. <laughs> uh, um, first, I have to say, first, I have to say, I'm the daughter of a young lord, which the shorthand for that, for people to understand, the young lords were a similar organization to the Black Panthers. It would be in that time, they would be the Puerto Rican version of the Black Panthers back in the 60s and early 70s. And uh, Puerto Ricans are born with Puerto Rican identity. They, if they could wear rice and beans around their neck and like, that would be them. So identity is very present for all of us. Very, you breathe it, you live it. And when you don't live in the island, it, it's even more accentuated. It's almost like you have to prove it 10 times over. So with having a father that was very political, um, it was imperative that you comprehended how Puerto Rican you were all of the time. You had to understand that you were getting shafted all of the time. Like my father, it, 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 politics was a given every day. Um, uh, the creme de la creme, I, I lived mostly in Puerto Rico, but we did spend a little time here in the United States. And my father was heavily involved in the politicking of, of New Yorkans and Puerto Ricans here in New York. So politics was every damn day. So every, every Puerto Rican mind of that time sat at our table. Mm. Same thing with every great African-American mind. So you had uh, Black Panthers, you had writers, you had artists um, from the 70s traipsing around our house all the time. I would be up at one o'clock in the morning listening to these weirdos, you know? <laughs> so um, my identity was like, it was just on fire all of the time. Mm. Um, so it's always been a pressing issue. It's yeah. always been a press pressing issue. And also the issue of us versus them, meaning mm. you have to be afraid of Anglo-Americans. Like mm. you need to have a certain respect because they're going to see you as a, a second-class citizen. And you need to understand 
And when I became a teenager, and, and obviously, um, you know, when I lived in Puerto Rico, you don't, you, you grow up with a sense of you're not a minority. So I never had a sense of being less than or a minority or anything like that. So my father's ideas of you're a second-class citizen when you're here, you need to know that, I didn't feel that I didn't know that. It wasn't until I came to the United States to go to college mm -hmm. where I had to learn that I was a minority. And damn, was that a painful experience. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Um, even other Puerto Ricans or other Latinos were like, who the hell do you think you are? Um, like, why do you give yourself this self-importance? You're a minority. And I'm like, I'm not a minority. I'm not, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm, I just am. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's, it's, it was very confusing. And, you know, before we started this phone call, you were asking me, how do you identify? And I'm, I'm a Puerto Rican, right? Yeah. I'm a Puerto Rican and here you're you are forced to like on the on the census it's us Puerto Rican American and mm. there's a redundancy to that that doesn't make any sense like a triple redundancy yeah it's a triple redundancy because Puerto Ricans are already by the geography of where we are we are already Americans we are already Americans. So it's this, um, what I call United States here. This is where English is very flawed in how it speaks. You think saying I'm an American means that you are... From the United States. Right, that, that United States and America is one. And that's not the truth. No. You, South Americans are Americans. Central mm -hmm. Americans are are Americans. Mm -hmm. But people from the United States are so self-important and so self-absorbed that they think that they are the center. And that's not the case. And in Spanish, people of the United States of America are Estado Unidenses, which means that piece of land. Mm -hmm. um, so I tend to say United Statesians, which is my bastardization of Estadounidense. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I will, I will, I'm, I'm simply Puerto Rican, mm -hmm. you know. And then you know you have the spinoffs of people who are Puerto Ricans from New York. They call themselves New Yorkans, and yeah. um, but you know on the census they say Puerto Rican American and. <laughs> I, I, I reject, you know, mm. <laughs> stop talking mm -hmm. plepla. Plepla mm. is like fake languages, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, language is such an important tool, and it's so imperfect. Like, yeah. language is so fallible, and yet, you know, it's easy to misuse it. And like, yeah, the redundancy of Puerto Rican-American, it's like, one, you're already American, like, you that's the only box you should really check off on a census but then they have to put puerto rican and then they make up for it by saying puerto rican american and it's just like multiple levels of like what what the fuck is happening here right right um you already okay because you already ticked the box of citizen right yeah so how do you tick the box of citizen so if you're a citizen then 
everything after that mm-hmm. would infer that if you're Chinese, African, like it would say it would be then to say, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's just like we're cattle and we need to like. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's it's weird that it's yeah, and it's but that's all race politics. That that comes down to race, not like mm-hmm. um, nationality uh, or cultural identity. And um, I'm I'm curious to know more about like you you're talking about this transition to college and f- like learning that you were uh, a minority and how it's like to come to that realization at you know that point in your life and you said you also you know got people from your own community being like why don't you understand this um, right because the thing is is that. Um you don't have I, I i was the kind of puerto rican like once you get to my goal was not to come to the united states yeah. for me my crowning glory was never to come to the united states not a goal in my life circumstances just made it so that i came to the states <laughs> so new yorkians tend to be born in the states stay in the states and all that kind of stuff so Um, for them, I was an anomaly because Spanish was my first language. Um, the, the, and they couldn't understand that my diction was very anglified Hmm. their diction was not that it wasn't anglified, but it was much more urban, for example, Hmm. versus mine was much more proper. (laughs) However, my first language being Spanish was even more proper versus their language. Not only was it urban, but it was improper in terms of between proper Spanish and improper Spanish. Then um, I had a hard time because college food was American food. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, everyone gains the freshman 15. I lost the freshman 20. I mean, it was the cultural shock was impossible to do. Like Mm -hmm. every day I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And so the thing is, is that being in the United States, you're conditioned. Like I, 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 I saw it like you're conditioned to, to expect less than. Mm-hmm. So that you don't complain. So, for example, the school that I went to, there were all, it was what twelve thousand students, and there were only like a hundred and twelve Latinos, mm-hmm. and about the same of African American students. So the the of color student body was very very small, and most of them were through something called EOP which is a equal opportunity program or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got there through a special, um, special admission. They maybe had a lower grade point average, but um, they were given tutoring or whatever, whatever, so that they could meet a certain standard. And so they entered in sort of in a, sort of in a lopsided kind of thing and so there's this gratefulness that i've i've been accepted do you know what i mean yeah and so when you when it's it when it's in that when it's framed in that way you know to me i was just like you got in and the fact that you stayed in 
is on your merit. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's on your merit. Everything else is all on your merit. The fact that you made it your first year, your second year, nobody's doing you any favors. So fuck them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but everything, like, there is this fear of asking for anything, like, that you're not worthy or you're not deserving. And, and, and everything. And, it, I, I, I'll have to I'll have to think deeply. It's almost like, for example, also when you're in a class with a teacher, they wouldn't look at the teacher in the face. Mm-hmm. They'd look down. Um, it, it, it's just it manifests manifests in, in such a small minute way, okay? Um, my first year there, I had a, a boyfriend. He was Dominican American, Mm. Dominican, (laughs) whatever. So we're, we're driving. Okay. And the town, the school I was in was like white, 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 white. The town was white. Couldn't get any whiter. So he was, he was driving and we were driving, I don't know, down main street. He was, he was very dark. Mm. And so I, I, I get very sensitive. Okay, very sensitive with the police. Yeah. So he had a nice car. We're driving, taking a drive. We had gotten ice cream. The Nothing. He's done nothing wrong. The police stop us. And I was like, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. He has his hand on the thing, on the, on the steering wheel, whatever. And he has a heavy accent. And I'm like... What's the problem, officer? Why did you stop us? You know, like, I'm already getting level 10 Puerto Rican, you know, like, all the way. But, you know, you look at me, and, like, the, the police officer can't understand what, what my problem might be. Mm-hmm. And he, he comes, there's two police officers. The other one comes out on my side. He's like, are you okay, ma'am? I'm like, yes, I'm absolutely fine. Why did you pull us over? He goes, can you come out? And I said, no, I don't have a reason to come out. Why do I need to come out? And so the the guy that I was with, he's just like, please, please, can you just get out the car? And I said to him in Spanish, why? Why? Why do I have to get out? Because I didn't understand the severity of danger that we were actually in. Mm-hmm. That that he's in, in an incredible amount of peril because I don't know the, mm-hmm. I don't know this universe. I don't, yeah. I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so he's just like, just please get out of the car. And I'm like, why? He's like, in Spanish, because they might kill me. And I'm like, what? So then I'm just like, are you going to kill him? Are you going to kill him? Like, I'm, I'm telling the police officer. I'm like, is that what you're planning on doing? Because I'm a witness. I know what your face like looks like, Mr. Whatever, whatever. He had his badge on. <laughs> I'm like, are you going to kill him? Is that what your intent is? Is this what happens in the United States of America? (laughs) Wow. And so he was super, super scared. He's just like, he has his hands on the wheel. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This, what is this? Communism? Communism? I went berserk. But this is the reality. That first year. And and the thing is, is that he knew, uh, he was just like, he was docile. 
he just had his hands on the thing. <sighs> he looked down. He was just like just praying for his praying for his life, babe. Praying for his fucking life. And you know everything eventually went out with, without incident. I even cursed at the police officer. The police officer didn't do shit to me, but <laughs> I was just like. I was like crazy and I'm just like, I said to him, how could you take it? How could you take it? I was so angry at him. He's just like, I know these officers, they, they've stopped me so far six times. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what? He's just like, they do it because they can do it. Yeah. Mm. That just needs a moment of silence. Yeah. Yep. For sure. And we find ourselves in the middle of a defund the police movement and people wonder why or, you know. I The questions I keep having for people these days are what in your heart is allowing you to defend this? Like, what are you defending in your heart when you defend the police? Because you're not, you, what are you defending? They, you see shit like this, and then if you, if you don't want to call that out or you don't want to hold people accountable for harassment and for murder and for just everything wrong that the police are doing and that they're allowed to do because you know it's a club that uh they literally can get away with murder they don't get fired they get put on paid leave um that yeah what are you defending not you but you <laughs> obviously not me um uh, i have another question about that sure. which which gets into a different territory but the way that it's being phrased in my head, which may be wrong, but have you ever been mistaken for being white? Have I ever been mistaken for being white? Uh, believe it or not, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but I will explain to you why. Mm -hmm. Because, first of all, when I say my name, I say it in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I make it a point of doing that so as to not being confused because if I do get confused, it's a point of contention with me. Mm -hmm. I take great offense mm -hmm. with being confused with a white person. <laughs> and second of all, uh, pretty much after I say my name, fairly closely people realize they are told that I am Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. and you yourself at getting to know me know that 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 is pretty much the sequence of how it happened yeah so that is that is uh um that is just a habit that i picked up with living here in the united states because i don't want it to be confused mm -hmm. it's very important for me to that for that to be very clear um because i will not tolerate ra racism in my presence and that came from my first, my, I, I had to work full time when I was in college and I worked at this small newspaper 
and uh, this the owner of the newspaper um, made a joke. He made a racist joke mm-hmm. um, because he thought he was among friends, and I lost it. I fucking lost it, and I was like, "Yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna stop doing this. We're gonna stop doing this." So ever since then, since that first incident, no, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm Alicet Torres Lopez. Nice to meet you. I'm from Puerto Rico, a little island, right next to Dominican Republic, right next to Cuba. Yeah, and, you know, like mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. It's if necessary. I have like a my father um, climbed uh, up the Statue of Liberty and put the Puerto Rican flag on <laughs> uh, 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 the crown of Lady Liberty. Uh. So. I'll have that next to my desk. So people, they'll be like, what is that? Oh, my dad did that? He put the Puerto Rican flag on the crown of the Statue of Liberty? Oh, really? Your dad's Puerto Rican? Yes, my dad is Puerto Rican. Yes. So that that's, that's how those things get solved. Yeah, I think uh, the reason I asked that is I've ha- I had a conversation last week with a friend who is Puerto Rican, uh, but he's coming to terms with a kind of white identity that he has because he's white passing um, and he is much less um, or or I guess exists at less of a cultural he feels less of that burden to I, I don't know he wasn't pressured as much as you were or indoctrinated into like the fact that you are a Puerto Rican like he was also told that he was an American and like that yeah I I just find it interesting because I know that you are on a different end of the spectrum than he is. So I want to have that also. Well, well, you see, the thing is also my mom and dad are dark. Yeah. Um, You know, my my dad looks Afro-Puerto Rican. Well, Mm -hmm. my dad has passed away. And my mom, everyone used to think she was my nanny when I used to live in, when we would be in the United States. You told me. Um, half of my family is from Ponce and they're very, very dark skinned. Ponce is, was the washdown point for slaves in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. So there's a deep blackness in, um, in my family. So, um, you know, a lot of Puerto Ricans or New Yorkans here in the, in the United States, they stay within a similar hue right mm-hmm. puerto rico is it, it, in the island it can be it, it depends on a family where you can have like someone my complexion all the way you know to a much darker complexion so i have cousins in in bonse that are very dark and have blue eyes do you know what i mean yeah. so there's a but my brothers are darker than i am so there's for me there is no um there's such variance that it's impossible to this idea of white passing. Um, it's hard to hide. Now that isn't to say um, that there isn't colorism in mm-hmm. Puerto Rico. There's that, and that that also isn't to say that um, that I do not have a certain level of um, privilege because I look white passing. Mm -hmm. That is a very real fact. Mm -hmm. That's a truism. 
and um you know that you can't you can't you can't evade that however um you know it, it's part of my life an active life to claim and, and say no i'm i'm puerto rican i'm never gonna mm-hmm. hide that this is my family tree all of us where this is who we are yeah. um but you know i'm not gonna lie there are puerto ricans that are like no i'm white you know and mm-hmm. they're saying that there's a saying an active saying in in spanish that tienes que mejorar la raza we have to better the race mm-hmm. or yo no quiero nietos con pelo malo i don't want grandchildren with bad hair mm. or um sayings that are like me vas a sacar lo negro so like don't fuck with me because you're gonna you're gonna make my black come out like weaponizing blackness mm. so all of that is you know what i mean so puerto ricans like to hide and say oh no we come in every color so we can't be racist that's that's not true yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna just throw our air our dirty laundry mm-hmm. that is not that is not true yeah you know it's in that you know that is frequently the argument you know you hear used by white supremacists or like people who are white people in America often want to point fingers as to like where racism exists outside of themselves. Um, But again, one of the, one of the things about racism that I've been trying to, you know, put out there a, a, a context that I think other people can also agree on, but like racism is systematic. Racism is a system and it's not it's not individual um, that you don't have the power over racism. Racism has the power over you and the systems in place um, are the things that perpetuate racism, the systems. And it's helped by people. Uh, the systems are formed by people. But the racism, uh, these these individual accounts, these Karens that we're seeing on Facebook and these uh outwardly racist interactions that are being recorded for the world to see um a lot of people want to claim them as like individual instances and if we don't look at the system behind that if we don't look at the things that um manifested this attitude or this way of being in these people who are being outwardly racist then like you know i I don't know i might be rambling or no, not I, making I see, sense. I, no, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I have two connecting and like octopusy <laughs> comments to that because it's just kind of like free forming. Yeah. Uh, is one, I have a problem with the, the terminology Karen. And, uh. and this, is, this is why. I feel like constantly calling these women Karen. Mm minimize minimizes what they're doing they're they're doing heinous active racist behavior and calling them karen makes it into a joke and what they're doing is no different than brandishing a gun at the state capitol Mm. in my opinion Mm -hmm. and so you're lessening the behavior by saying "Ha, ha 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 it's karen No, there's a difference between the Karen asking for a manager 
and a Karen calling the police on African Americans mm-hmm. having a barbecue in their backyard or them um taking all their shit and throwing it into the to the into the ground or licking a person or spitting it uh, I don't know if you saw uh, a thing that recently happened that this man was like I can't serve you in in a store he's like you have to leave the store and she spat on the on the counter mm. okay to me that is a violent act and putting people in a health risk mm-hmm. that is more than like the funny Karen before COVID of I want a manager so when we when we need to say things as they are and to me that that is like a certain protection that people are giving white women mm. because they're white women mm. and i think that there's a danger in that so that's my first point um the second point is is again yes we have a system and a structure so for example you know if we're going to talk about the police the police are a legacy of the slave hunters right and all of that so so yes you have a structure built on another structure mm-hmm. and we have the legacy of that the thing is is that even though now we know that and and I'm not saying you and I because obviously we see it we know it and we 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 are like this has to change immediately but you have intelligent people who are privy to the same information that you and I are and are saying no we need to keep this anyway so that's beyond the system mm-hmm. that is th- that those people are rational beings saying no we need to keep this system and not even we need to ratify this they're saying this system can work within the confines of how it exists and not only can it exist but all you need is light training so it's not only the system it's the people within the system are locked in their own mental system and mm-hmm. are refusing to even though they understand that there's wrong here they're refusing to change mm-hmm. and so this is above and beyond a system like this is this is just and so how do how do we dismantle that because it's it's not just dismantling the system when the people running the system don't even want to change the system mm-hmm. so you, you can do you can do away with the police right mm-hmm. but all the people that are capable to run a police organization let's say are all have all believed in the former system so what do we do then? Mm-hmm. Right? So this is a this is a bigger situation than yeah. the system. And it's yeah, the police is one branch of a much larger tree that is racism. But the racism is that tree and the police is a branch that uh actively fights for the survival of the larger organism which is racism. There are all of these the American government system has so many branches. It's founded in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And um, th- I mean, those are big words that a lot of people hear that kind of 
terminology and they just immediately tune out Mm -hmm. Um, because there's something keeping them from it's like too heinous for them to believe that this is what the system is but uh as as you were talking about the police i I was just googling real fast because i want i want to be more uh articulate about how police started as slave patrols the american policing system um started as a kind of like bounty hunter slave patrol they were they were groups of people that were mostly looking for runaway slaves and and they and they had to Mm-hmm. Just it was an optional. You, you they had to do it, mm-hmm. and, and so then little by little they were it with cities. Mm-hmm. The cities they turned into the city police officers. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously in rural areas, yes, but then they also did it for higher in cities. Yeah, and and that's one thing. Like if if you don't believe me, if you're listening to this and you want to like double check that for yourself, just Google first police slave hunters the first article that showed up for me was from time.com this is not this is not conspiracy theory shit this is not a politically divided thing this is history this is american history (laughs) that the first policemen the origins of policing in america were with slave patrols and this is something that i omitted from the beginning i have a master's in latin american studies and Mm -hmm. a master's in Spanish, and what I will always say till I die is, don't ever believe me. Corroborate what I'm saying mm-hmm. or with what anyone is saying with three places, three different places. One from a place that you actually agrees with everything you say. One from a neutral place, usually another country, mm-hmm. and a third place that is counter to what you believe, and then make your opinion. That I will always say that because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I look for a source that I trust and I agree is with me normally. One from a foreign country and not like a crazy country like Russia or North Korea, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then one that totally disagrees with me. Like I do read The Hill. I do look at Crazy Fox. Mm-hmm. You need to know what the hell's happening. If you read only what agrees with you, You'll never learn anything. Yeah. And that's one of the most uh, troubling things about today's world is I, and essentially with Facebook and the way that information is shared, it astounds me how many statuses I can go down on my Facebook wall, how many I see every single day where I see it and I'm like, this is from 10 years ago. Or this, this is one, this is not new information. Two, like you're just sharing something because you saw a headline. And you're not, no one vets their fucking information. And it's like, you need to make sure that whatever information is coming into your precious, precious brain is Mm -hmm. coming from a place that you can trust, a place that um, is is not trying to manipulate you, and a place Mm -hmm. that like, you have some sort of control or, you know, you can communicate with that source of information. But if... If you're just sharing shit on Facebook because you saw a friend post it, like you, oh. you gotta, you gotta work, you gotta do some work on how you handle information. Yep. And and trust me, I have friends that I love and adore, and the craziness that they post, I'm like, 
You went to college. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. I want to I want to get to a little bit of because we're we're a little too on the same page right now I think um, okay let's disagree yeah let's disagree on something or let's I mean I'm just interested in knowing your personal um, difficulties with uh, you know you you talk about an internal racism within Puerto Ricans or a colorism. Yep. Um, I'm and I'm I'm I want to come from a place. My my goal is for every conversation that I have with someone, I can say like, "This is where I'm at in my learning journey." Maybe today it's about like, I can take some tips from you. Like I haven't thought about it doing it your way, but the three ways, three three sources to corroborate the information I'm being told, I can take some further steps in being even better myself about um, vetting information. Even though I you know I just told everyone listening like you need to you need to do that now i also i also need to be better about vetting information sometimes too um is there anything in your self-education today that you are trying to work on i mean you talked about listening earlier as an artist um what are you what, learning from all of this I'm thinking about that. Well, one thing that has happened with the COVID, I, I read a lot, but the what I've what has what has happened is I'm reading a whole lot more. Um, I have been reading a lot on um, political commentary um, mm -hmm. about the United States, um, which is is new because I I just. It, it's so polarizing what's happening. Um, and when I say po political commentary, it's some of it is new, but I feel like what's more relevant, um, it has been what's been written in the last eight years. So uh, during the Obama years and into the first two years of um, 45's reign, mm -hmm. um, because I feel everything else has been more inflammatory and everyone um is reactionary mm -hmm. um because you know the thing here is is that i don't believe in political parties yeah. so um since i don't believe in political parties um uh i always believe everyone's up to something <laughs> so um <laughs> everyone just wants to bend you to their will like yeah. my point is the only point and therefore it's mm -hmm. the greatest point um so you know it's funny there's this book shoot uh i'll have to look for it it was written in 2000 and 2008 i can't think of the name right now is it no it's not america the farewell farewell tour it's not that one it's another book that was written by this woman and um she's republican and she has her own agenda but she she predicted a lot of the economic situation that we're actually in right now. Mm. Um, so, uh, so reading, um, I say all of that to say reading. What was the question again? Uh, I'm just interested into how you're learning throughout all of this. What, what are you learning? What are you discovering about, you know, racism as a system, about yourself talking about, you know, as an artist learning to listen 
Because you've, well, you've said all this shit. Like, uh, unfortunately, my darling, yeah. everything that's happening yeah. in terms of racism is not a shocker yep. at all. It's it, it, all known. Of um, course. All uh, of it is known and it's unfortunate. What is frustrating, mm-hmm. what is sad and frustrating is is that people who are not of color are like, we had no idea this was happening. That is mm-hmm. so maddening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this really happens to you guys? I had no idea. Or, um, you know, the first couple weeks, um, like the first two weeks into Black Lives Matter, um, you know, white people crying and having to console white people I'm like, are you insane? Like, you want me to console you? They wanted Natasha to console them. I'm like, you want Natasha to console? Like, are you out of your mind? <sighs> like, and so it's, it's, um, and I guess for people listening, Natasha's my wife. Um, she's mm-hmm. Afro-Puerto Rican. Um, it's, it's like, what do you freaking do with that? Like, mm-hmm. and this is not, this is not an anomaly to other, um, African-Americans and other Latinos where it's like all of our white friends all of a sudden needed therapy from people of color. Yeah. Like give me a goddamn break. Um, so that was learning or educational. Um, what else? Um, I've had to learn a lot of patience with my family. Um, because, uh, part, part of my family is conservative mm-hmm. and, um, they, they don't understand what's going on. Um, and when I say they don't understand what's going on is a couple of them have become Americanized and it's funny because they're dark skin and they, they, um, there's a my brother and I a lot of my family still lives in Puerto Rico but these people they live in Florida and they're let's call them they're very ethnic looking Mm -hmm. (laughs) and my brother and I joke about them that they look like they could sell like um fritura which is like um damn it what do you how do you say that in english fritura like like snack foods on the beach mm-hmm. so like certain people there's a type of person that sells snack foods on the beach um they have like a bell or whatever and they're uber, uber yeah. tan and they're usually old grandma like people mm-hmm. so these particular relatives look like that like you that that's like a typical looking puerto rican like mm-hmm. when you think about it and so they're the ones that, you know, they're like, no, we're, we're American. They don't even say Puerto Rican American, they're American. So it's, it's having a lot of patience with them because they're mm-hmm. emblazoned with, you know, they've put up posts like, uh, Trump has been chosen by God. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So it takes, it takes... I've had to like mute them. You know what I mean? How you don't see their posts or anything. Mm-hmm. It's like two of them and they're elders in the family, you know, that kind of a thing. So I'm like, but it's patience yeah. and love. So I've had to learn with that, you know? Yeah. 
I want to um we're coming up on an hour and I'm 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 thinking about ending this section of the conversation cuz like you told you told me before I called you you were like this is going to this is going to be longer than an hour. Um and uh I think I think I'd like to end things here for for this section of it and like maybe we do a part 2 um either right after I stop recording or like at another moment after you and I unpack for a bit but um I just wanted to thank you for coming to my space which is like you know uh this this podcast is again kind of white centric um but in in the in the journey of like learning it needs to be about white people wanting to hear these things and learn and figure out what's going on so i hope as as frustrated as i did get earlier and as much as we were on the same page i want to end in a place by saying like i'm constantly learning from you i mean the karen comment also a huge thing for me like i've i've been using the word maybe a little too much maybe maybe i need to reevaluate the use of that i think you made a really wonderful um point about that but um yeah i just want i just want to stress that we're here to learn from each other so white people need to be here to learn a little bit more but um yeah anyway anything that you would like to say in closing like what are you what are you receiving from this um i will say this and i, I say this candidly and lovingly is that I am grateful for my friends like you who are open to these conversations like this, this you're doing this on an open sense, but in an intimate sense, Mm -hmm. which also matter. Like I, I, I see this active conversation in a public forum as a community service component, but also the private conversations that we've had also matter a great deal and you know i'm exceptionally grateful for that um and deeply deeply touched and you know i i you can't you can't um i can't put into words and and i have a lot of words (laughs) you know me i have lots of words to say um and it, it matters it matters and it you know, we're at such a great distance and, you know, we went through our own thing through this COVID situation and obviously every, all the other chaos that's ensued in between all of that. But, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful and, and I'm I'm excited about this project that you're doing. I'm grateful to participate and help in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, so proud of you I'm so proud of you and I just I need to say that and um so happy to see your growth thank it's, you it's 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 um yeah um, it's a pleasure and an honor to to bear witness mm-hmm. to it and that as I, I feel every time I'm in your presence I feel love and um I thank you for saying that and it, I I'm not gonna let that satiate my wish to do more um but i will take that i will take that with me as a reminder of like okay this this is something i can continue to do and should continue to do so oh that that, i'll kick your ass if you don't continue (laughs) 
that's a whole nother conversation. This is not the end. No. Keep on going, bitch. <laughs> this, this, this pep talk was like, keep on going or else. Thank you. I'm just, in case anyone out there is listening and is like, oh, he's sitting down because he's, he's clapping his hands together saying he's done his work for today. Hell no. That is oh, not. This Puerto Rican bitch will not let that happen. <laughs> Thank you for holding me accountable. <laughs> so um, I'm going to end things here. Uh, and until next time, I love you. I love you. Mwah! Listening back on this episode, um, I don't want to speak too much before we get into the next section because the next section uh, gets a little more personal, of course. In the next episode, we take a break, we have a couple drinks, and then we start recording again. Um, From this bit of the conversation, which of course it was ended a little bit early because, you know, I wanted to just provide some space because these conversations can get very long and um you know i've had conversations with family members that last four hours um and like ali said says you know this conversation uh is gonna be longer than an hour um but listening back um i just remember immediately after we had finished both parts uh Ali sets the kind of friend to me that makes me want to know more, that makes me want to learn more about things outside of myself. And I, even while we were on the episode, you heard me saying like I did a quick Google search to research a little bit more of the history on um, the origins of policing as uh, slave patrols and neighborhood watch organizations. Um, And, you know, the... uh, all that I can really speak to in this episode is like keep people around you um, that make you want, that make you curious, that make you want to ask more questions to them about who they are, where they come from, um, uh, not just heritage-wise, but where do they come from mentally? Like, w- what has defined their journey on this earth, and how? Um, can you learn from them? I think we all should be learning from our friends and family constantly and want to learn from them. And when we don't want to learn from them, then it's a stagnant relationship. Um, those are those are my thoughts thus far. I'm, again, uh, this is an experiment. This whole podcast is an experiment. Right now, this is an experiment in being a little more unscripted with my pre and post monologues. Um, uh, I feel like it's, I'm trying to get rid of the academic feel of like sitting and deconstructing everything that I glean from the episode and every, you know, uh, really being studious in my journey toward, um, being a better white person. And I'm, I'm interested in kind of taking that out there and just being more candid, um, cause that's really what this is about. And, um, as, as ethereal and universal as I would like certain moments or things about myself to feel, um, I am uh, incredibly finite in my personality and my circumstances and the way that I 
you know, process things. So I want to be truthful to that and I don't want to um, shy away from how awkward my journey is in, you know, creating the script that is, well, after listening to this episode, um, here is my thoughts on XYZ. And I say all this at the end of Ali Set's episode to say that she and I had this conversation about the podcast. She has been one of my friends that I talk to, and she uh, explains to me uh, what she wants to hear. And, you know, while I um, can't cater to anyone aside from myself, I see the value in what she's uh, looking for. And I think I'm just trying to. Uh, for myself and for a few people who have given me feedback, I'm I'm gonna work on being a little more candid. So here's the end of episode uh, one, part one of two with Aliset Torres. If you've made it this far, um, I thank you for joining me. I look forward to learning from you and with you, and uh, I love you from your friendly podcasting white boy. Until next time. <laughs>